you got to be what we call a thinking shooter. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So they need smart people. It's yeah. not about just shooting people. It's more than that. That's what you see in the movies, but it's definitely more than that. It's about engaging in the population, and, you know, building rapport, finding common ground, that kind of thing. So. Welcome Hawaii Real, everybody. I have with me today a Hawaii SEAL, Ray Baviera. Ray, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. Your first Navy SEAL that we've had. Well, I appreciate it. Uh, thank you for um, bringing me on board to just talk. Yeah, man. I mean, you've got some great stories. We were talking off camera about um, where you came from, how you started, and you're from. You were actually born in the Philippines. I was. I was born in the Philippines, and my mom moved here roughly when I was about a year old. Yeah. She so, moved back. Yeah. So she's from Hawaii. No, she's actually from Bakersfield. That's where <laughs> my family's from, uh -huh. along with West Covina. But so she came back. She landed in Hawaii and she remained here. Never left, basically. I right. mean, she left island from time to time. But so Navy SEAL, what school did you go to? Because that's important in Hawaii, right? Well, yeah, yeah. Well, I graduated from Lelehua. Go Mules, yeah. right? So in 92, I already gave my age away. But yeah, 92, um, Lelehua. I lived in Whitmore Village is what we called it. Mm -hmm. Not, you know, Whitmore Village, but Whitmore Village. So <laughs> Whitmore? Whitmore. Whitmore. Whit like, Whitmore, okay. Yeah. It's a village just a little bit more north of... You know where Nick Tams is, the naval communication base out there? Yeah, you drive by Whitmore Village when you're heading out to Correct. the North Shore and stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I lived there. So that's your hood. Yeah. That was. That was my hood. I took my <laughs> wife out there. She was like, you lived here? I'm like, yeah. She goes, looks like a third world country. I'm like, yeah, yeah actually. It's yeah, it's in the middle of pineapple fields and stuff. Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah. So uh, what got you into the Navy SEALs? Well, I mean, it's kind of a longer story than we, when we kind of, kind of talked off. Um, I, I became a SEAL about four years after being active duty. I was okay. in the Navy for about four and a half years and I, it was something that was there. I said, you know what, let me give it a shot. This is post, this is pre 9-11. Oh, okay. So pre 9-11, 99, I think, if I can't remember, nine, actually sooner than that. So I said, you know, let me give it a shot. I'm about to get out of Navy anyway. This Navy thing is not for me. It was a cultural thing. Mm -hmm. It was huge culture, you know, like. I was a little bit more wild as a kid and just kind of doing my own thing and having everyone tell me what to do at every given time was just not for me. Uh, but so I wanted to give the seal a shot. People were talking about it. I'm like, I'll just go check it out. It's how can, how different can it be? I used to surf, you know, go to Hawaii, you know, down to the North shore, this, that, and the other. So I gave it a shot first time up. It just wasn't for me. I said, nah, this is not for me. So I just decided to leave. And I was got that it. inside, but you were in buds. Correct. Through it? Correct. I applied for buds. I actually injured myself the first time. I wasn't well prepared. You know, it's, it's, it's a marathon, if you will. Right. It's not something that's just going to happen. So it's a six month training program and it's just a kick in the nuts, if you will, the whole time. Yeah. And a lot of running. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of running. I wasn't prepared for this, the type of running, which was on soft sand while I was there. And I had a femoral stress fracture because of it. So they rolled me or two couple classes back. I said, you know what? I got rolled from my, my original class. I don't think I want to be here anymore. I want to be with my original class. So I decided to leave the program we call drop on requests. Mm. And from there I transitioned out. I okay. basically became a civilian. Um, after, yeah, after that, and I was just a reservist. And then two years later, I decided to go back primarily because I was telling myself, oh, I was with my wife at the time I got married and it was like, okay, I didn't really give the program a real shot. I just was there. I said, this time I want to give it a shot, see mm. where I really fall on this pecking order. So I reapplied in 99. So I actually went back to, I actually went the first time back in 96, 97, excuse me. And 99 is when I went back. Yeah. I went back as a reservist. I didn't, I didn't know you could do that. You can, and then you have to be active duty. You're if, gonna, if, so if you get through it, you go active duty? 
That's correct. Because you were active duty. And so I went back and pretty much made it about two to three weeks before graduation. And I got dropped from training. It's a little bit more involved in that. Mm -hmm. I got dropped from training for uh, weapons practical out on San Clemente Island. Buds is broken into three phases. Mm -hmm. You got the first phase, which is just a total gut check. Mm -hmm. to see if you have what it takes to endure. There's no rhyme or reason. It's just to beat you. And that's all the physical activity that you see on, you know, in the right. movies and stuff like that going through buds. Correct. Okay. So it's just, you know, sitting in the water, freezing, you know, just, it was miserable. Mm -hmm. it was I probably went into hypothermia for sure two times that they pulled me out and a couple other times, just mild hypothermia where it's like, all right, just keep on going. Or what do you want to do? Right? Do you want to keep on going or do you want to just quit? I said, I just, I'm going to keep on going. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to stay here until I die, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Through the program. So, that being said, people have died in the program. Mm. So, yeah. So I just, just pushed forward and even though it sucked miserably. And then you got, after you finish that, you know, you got the notorious, hell week they call it right that's the stuff that you see on tv mm -hmm. it's up five and a half days before it was about two hours of sleep maybe you know so you're just first three days you're just doing all the evolution after that you just become sort of robotic you're just doing things automatically you know you're just miserable you're not even thinking about it anymore you're just like i just got to make it to the next meal you know yeah breakfast lunch dinner mid rats mid rats is we get fed at midnight. Yeah. So I've heard that with, um, buds is that, the uh, guys that have been through the program have said that you just, you don't focus on making it through the entire program. You have to focus on making it to your next meal and you get to that meal, make it to the next one and then make it to the next one. Just break it down like that because it is so hard and challenging. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Cause if you start looking at the finish line, you just won't make it. Yeah. It's just so far off. And you know, at the moment when you're suffering, right, mm -hmm. it seems forever, right? So you have to look at it in just little moments, these little moments, and just take your take your mind to a happy place somewhere. You know, I I would say I'm not a master at it, but I got pretty good at escapism, mm. like leaving myself there, and my mind just focusing on something else, and or the evolution. Make sure I pass the evolution. Because there's time evolutions that you have to pass, and there's evolutions. It's just, it's just a gut check. Yeah, yeah. Just it just sucks. That's the whole program. So, and then what most people don't see is you go into the second phase, which is a dive phase. That's where you learn, you know, open circuit, closed circuit, and there's another thing we call Dregger Hell Week. The Dregger is a enclosed apparatus, underwater breathing apparatus, and that is miserable. That's just enclosed so the bubbles don't come out when you're breathing. Right. right so because you're breathing pure O2, what happens is not only that, you're getting stronger at this point mm. because you're building, you, they're not beating you. Now they're training you, but still, it still sucks, you know? So you're getting stronger. You're eating three to four times a day. You know, you're not expending all that energy. Your muscles are starting to grow and you're breathing oxygen, oxygen, pure oxygen, helps you get stronger too. So your times are getting faster um, in terms of like our evolutionary times, run, swims and stuff like that. And of course, we're focusing on different things. We're no longer getting beat, but it's still miserable when we look at, um, when we look at Dregger Hell Week, we call it Dregger Hell Week. Okay. And that's miserable because you're in the water three times a day, two to three times a day, just diving and it's miserable. And it's not warm water. It's not warm water. <laughs> no, not at all. So San Diego weather, so San Diego water is about, I think the average is around 60 degrees. That's fucking cold. <laughs> all year, not all year long in the winter. It's yeah, it's, it's colder. Like maybe it all the time. Yeah. Maybe a three degree drop, maybe under is like 57. Maybe it's miserable. Yeah. Yeah. I bet. Well, it's meant to be miserable, right? It's not meant for everybody to get through. This is true. This is true. I wish they had it here in Hawaii, right? I think the birthplace birthplace of <laughs> of the SEAL teams was mm -hmm. here. Well, UDT. 
right. the underwater demolition team was, I think, Bellows or Maui or something like that. During World War II? Correct. The Frogmen? Right. Right, right, right. So it's nice warm water. Would have been nice if it was here. So, um, so you get through buds it, that time you got through or no, did, that time you said you got, um, out of the class. Yeah, I got, dro- I actually got rolled. So I made it to third phase, the final phase. Okay. And actually kind of going back a little bit, my brother had died when I was in second, when oh. I was in hell week of that class in 99. So he had died when I was going through hell week. Oh, no. So I got pulled out of hell week and they sent me home basically mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because my mom, my wife was just hysterical. And I was like, hey, can I stay at least in this class, finish Hell Week, then get rolled? Because it was just miserable. You know, now Hell Week kind of moves between the weeks. But back then when I went, it was the fifth week, right? It was the fifth week. And it was just, you're just getting beat. The four, like a whole month, you're just getting beat day in, day out to your fifth week. Back then I was like, hey, I was telling the, you know, the people in charge, the, the training officer, is there any way I can just, make it to Wednesday or Thursday and then get rolled forward. And like, no, I'm like, oh my gosh. Cause this now you're gonna have to do it all over all again. All over again, right? So um, they sent me home. I was kind of sad about it. You know, I was a little upset about it. Well, what can I do, right? So mm-hmm. um, they sent me home, I went home. My wife was hysterical. I called my, I called my mom. I let her know she was just broken. He was my older brother. And I called my grandmother. And that's really my only really two immediate family members that I knew. So they were kind of broken about it. And then I called the coroner. Mm-hmm. My, my brother died in Washington state in Bremerton. And I called the coroner for me. Luckily for me, my wife had told my what the coroner what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Say, oh, my husband's in SEAL training, this, that, the other. So when I called him, he goes, hey, look, there's nothing you can do. And he was a former SF guy, Green okay. Beret, because Washington State has a lot of Green Berets there. And he goes, there's nothing you can do. Can you come on the weekend and at least, I, you know, sign some papers, this, that, the other. I'm like, yes, I could do that. He goes, in the meantime, just go back to your training. There's nothing you can do. So immediately I called the basic training officer. I'm like, hey, can I come back and train? There's nothing you're going to do. Here's a coroner's number. Talk to him, this, that, and the other. And by the way, I got home around... 9 p.m. at night and I when I already called them they said okay stand by so about one o'clock in the morning is my wife wakes me up I'm already I already took a warm shower changed my clothes and I was in bed sleeping at this point you know I was been up for the last two two and a half days and I get this phone call and they said hey Bavier I'm like Yes, you know, they're like, are you delusional? I'm like, no, not at all. Like return to training. I'm like, oh crap. So I'm coming out of bed, you know. Why, just, why are they asking if you're delusional? Just from the information that you've given them from the corner? Well, you'd be delusional because you're up for about two and a half days. So you start to see things. Oh, okay. Okay. Right. I said, no, I'm not delusional. I wasn't. I had like a few hours of sleep at this yeah. point. Right. So. My, you know, I got dressed, went back and went back to training Nice. Yeah, that night. So I, I didn't miss much training, maybe about maybe five hours, of, maybe four or five hours of training. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So I went back and I went all the way through until the third phase, which is the final phase of training. And, you know, I would think about my brother, what he did, this, mm. that, because my brother committed suicide. Oh. And I would think about what was going on. I just, it was just an emotional roller coaster for me through training. So that was pretty tough. That was pretty tough. And, um, yeah, that's pretty tough. And I actually got rolled from that class. I was in my, my original class was 225. These are the, the numbers of classes. So I was in 225. Then I got rolled to 226 to do third phase all over again. And it was at that point that I got dropped about two weeks out from graduation. And was it because of, you said you were just thinking about what your brother did? I wasn't, I lost focus. Like I was, my brother was just coming to surface. I didn't have a chance to really mourn him at the time. So I, cause I went right back into training and I, it it was nonstop. I kept going and then I got his effects like, and I read a letter, you know, you know how they have their letter and it affected me, Yeah, you know? So, and he had a son. Well, he has a son. 
who was probably about two years old at the time. And what affected me the most is when he said, hey, take care of my son for me. Mm. And that's when I just broke. Yeah. You know, like, how dare you? You know, as if he was here. Like, yeah. how dare you? Right. Because he gave up. Yeah. And like, here you are going through buds, going yeah. through SEAL training, not giving up, not giving up, not giving up. Yeah. Sure. So, you know, and that was kind of what happened. And over the years, I mean, well, I got dropped, obviously. And shortly after, that's when I got orders to go to Italy. And I went to Italy with my wife and we picked up and we're like, and I was kind of like done. I don't want anything to do with this program. Right. Because it's the second time you've been through it. Right. I was like done. I had no, in, I had no intent to ever going back. None. Mm -hmm. I, I, for me, I felt like, hey, I came here to prove what I wanted to prove. Can I make it? I was too out. Did I graduate? No. Was I two weeks out from graduation? Sure. Was there more to come in those next 10 days? Absolutely. Right. So in my mind, in my mind, I was done. So both ways I have done the program. I could pretty much complete, you know, pretty much because one, the last week's about a, it's like an administrative week. You start cleaning up. It's not that you're, you're still a student, still getting beat like a student. And so, and in my, and the, the other side was, yeah, I'm out of here. I'm, yeah. So I went to, got new orders, went to Italy, like I said. So you're still in the military when you're heading off to Italy. Yeah. So I decided to re-enlist because mm -hmm. I'm like, yeah, you know what? I want to stay in the Navy at this point. So I stayed in the Navy. So. And that yeah. brought you to Italy where you were uh, military police, you were saying? Yeah. So shortly after, I, before all that, I was kind of going through, Buzz is rough on the mm. body. So yeah. I was at, I was 16 months of temporary light duty because mm. my knees, my back, my neck, they're all shot, you know? So I was going to physical therapy, this, that, and the other. And then I got orders. Then I went to the military, like almost like an academy, which was in Virginia beach. And then from there I got orders to Italy. Cool. Yeah. So you're in Italy military police officer how do you go back to doing the seal thing it's it's interesting because when you go through training the seal training a lot of the buds duds is what they'll call them the mm -hmm. ones that don't make it what happens is they'll push them out to security detachments or security units all wherever the navy needs them and so i went to italy and when i went to italy I really never told, I actually didn't tell anyone I went to Buds. I just went there as, you know, a second class, which is an E5 in the Navy. And there's a lot of master arms, you know, former students who went and they would talk about Buds this, Buds that, Buds this, Buds that. But their story would normally end at Hell Week. No one would talk past Hell Week because they most of them never made it past Hell Week mm. for whatever reason, whether they quit. I mean, I quit once, so I was like, ah, I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. And so they would they would talk about that, and I would again, I wouldn't say anything. And then one day, there's this guy named Chris Morano. God bless his soul. He was singing the second phase, the dive phase songs. Which there's each phase you have certain song like cadence songs or whatever songs you're singing and you can only sing them while you're in that phase. So he started singing these songs and I was working in the armory, you know, I would shot, you know, our service pistols and I looked at him like, Hey man, did you go to buds? He goes, yeah. I'm like, what class were you? So we talked, I asked him what class he was in. Cause at this point he's the only one I encountered was past hell week. Mm. He went into second phase. So he goes, yeah, I went to second phase. I'm like, oh, right on, man. Good for you. He goes, and at that point, that's when I opened up. Yeah. I said, yeah, he, he must have known because you knew the song he was singing. He he asked me, he goes, what about you? I'm like, yeah, I made it to second phase. As a matter of fact, I went to third phase. And he goes, what? You know, he was like taken aback. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So finally, him and I became really good friends. And he was planning on going back. You know, he went his first time, didn't make it the the first time and he wanted to go back so he him and i would would talk just and the other share a little you know our own little war stories at buds right and 
he was like, Hey Ray, you should go back with me. I'm like, nah, I'm good, man. I'm good. I don't, I don't need that in my life. This is already past. This is already post nine 11, by the way. Oh, wow. Okay. So it wasn't right away. It didn't happen right away. Mm-hmm. Like where I wanted to go back. Cause I was still jaded because I got dropped because the thing with buds with most it's, it's a personality thing. Mm-hmm. It's about fit. Do you have what it takes, not just physically and mentally, but do you have what it takes to be part of the boys? Yeah. Right. So I was like, nah, I don't want to be part of it. Just that and the other, you know, I got dropped for some dumb reason. You know, it became a personality issue, which I, I didn't mention, but it was a very personality issue. And because I get, I got a little cocky when I was in second phase. And there's this thing that they say, I don't mean to go back too far, but the instructors would always say in the unlikely event that you make it to this phase or graduate or whatever they in the unlikely event. And mind you, I was in, I was in second phase in a class and one of the instructors goes in the unlikely event, you make the third phase. And I was under my breath, which I thought was under my breath. I said, I'll make it a third phase. And the instructor goes, Bavier, what did you say? I said, and I was like, nothing. And integrity is a huge thing. And he goes, do you want an integrity viola- violation? I mm-hmm. said, I said, and then I said, I will make it the third phase. And because of that, I singled myself out and I got beat all day for that. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't go like, to keep your mouth shut. Yeah. Man. I just couldn't. I was like, oh my gosh, what was I thinking? And I already knew, we already knew there was instructors in the third phase that were known for dropping at least one student. They just mm-hmm. had to find a reason to do it. This is post nine, this is pre nine 11. There was no need for everyone to graduate mm-hmm. at this point. So they could drop whoever they want. Right. So this guy, I'm not going to give his name out, but this one instructor, there's two of them and they target, they singled me out because of that, because of that, they're now testing to see where they can. And if, you know, as a student, you're going to always find something wrong with them. Always you're a student, you mm-hmm. know, you're not at perfection, right? You're not polished. You're still rough. You're still trying to figure things out this, that, and the other. So I had several safety violations that they just pinged me with. I was like, that's ridiculous. But anyway, maybe it came out of my attitude also. Anyway, so, so I was sort of jaded and I, I it wasn't right away that he convinced me and Later on, there was another guy decided to go back to Buds, and he was well respected. So, by the way, well, there's and there's two more that went that applied for, and they got accepted to go Buds. So, total four guys from my command. Only one at, out of the four was Chris Morano, who had made it past Hell Week. The other two, other three, have not. So, Morano kept pestering, getting on top of me, like, "Hey, man, do you want to stand here, get gate guard, just that, you know, patrol, just you know, do." reports on parking or whatever violations. And I started really thinking about, and I went home one night and I told my wife about it because, you know, my wife was part of it when I went the first and second time. And she was like, whatever you want, whatever's going to make you happy for you, you want to go back, that's fine. So I said, okay. So I went back. I can't remember when at some point I said, all right, Chris, I'm going to apply. You know, so I applied. I didn't, I got denied actually when I applied the first time in Italy, I got, it was like, nope, you're not going back. Cause it's like an application. You put it mm-hmm. in, you put this application in to your HR, what we call a detailer. And they're like, no, you already been to buds. You don't need to go back this, that you're plus, you know, you just, you're, you're senior enlisted at E5. I was only E5. It's not really senior. So we're going to give other people an opportunity. I just couldn't take no for an answer. If I took no for an answer, my life to where it was at that day, I probably would have never been there, right? If I took all the no's, you know, because I was told no many times before. Yeah. I was like, no, I'm going to find another way. Yeah. So I actually reached out to the still recruiters via email and I said, hey, this is so-and-so, blah, blah, I want to can I get a, an endorsement letter from you to attend buds? I went to buds at this time, this time I made it this far last time, et cetera. And maybe a few days later, a response came back and says, is this the Baviera that I put through training? And his name was, his name was, well, his, his name was Mike and they called him the, the white devil. 
right? He was, he was a miserable instructor. He, he was our proctor. When I was in going my second time, when I was going in, he was our, he proctors your class. Make sure, you know, as a proctor, you're supposed to support the class, give them what they need, et cetera, you know, motivate them. Not this one, not this instructor. We started with in my buzz class 225. We started with about 200 and about, a little over 200. He by himself dwindled it down to about 20, maybe 30. Jeez. Before Hell Week. Before Hell Week. So we went into Hell Week with 25 guys. Mm-hmm. We lost one guy. So we, so we narrowed it down to the right 20. Right. The right 19. Correct. And through the whole process, you know, he knew I was this, that, and the other. Of course, my brother died, you know, this, that. So he, I like, yes, this is the Bavier. He goes, yeah, whatever you need, I will write you an endorsement. And he wrote me an endorsement. I reapplied the second time and I got approved. And they're like, you want to go back to Buds? You really want to go back to Buds? All right, you're leaving in like a month for the next class. Nice. That's how they wanted to stick it to me, right? Navy did. So I went home like, hey, babe, start packing. We got to start packing. We get the movers, this, that, and the other. I got to be there at, on this day. This was in December. And then you, you only have like a month to get your physical fitness into it. Well, I was, I was already kind of running already. It's just what I did. I run swimming. I didn't do much. I was into calisthenics already. Mm-hmm. So that, yeah, I had to really work on my running more. I wasn't a bad runner. I'm slowed down a little now, but, um, but you were ready for it. I was, you're, you're I, I, I thought I was ready for it. Okay. So mentally I was ready for it. I think I, I think I was and, or I thought I was. So we went and then I went back to training this. I got the orders in December of 2001 and no, 2003, sorry. Cause I was there for two years and I started training January, 2004. It was like that. And all five of us went back in the same class. Mm-hmm. My class was 250 at this time. So 25 classes later from my second class. And only, I'm the only one that graduated out of all of them. My friend, Chris Morano, he went back to second phase. He just got dropped at second phase. That was just kind of thorn in his side. He couldn't get past it because, you know, there's dive physics. There's a lot of contrary to popular belief. It's not just your bunch of drones told what to do and go do, you know, you have, you got to be what we call a thinking shooter. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they need smart people. It's yeah. not about just shooting people. It's more than that. You know, that's what you see in the movies, but it's definitely more than that. It's about engaging in the population and, you know, building the rapport, finding common ground, that kind of thing. So, yeah, I was up for, and Chris, my friend, Chris, I, earlier I said, God bless his soul because he got out mm-hmm. and he became an Arizona state trooper and he was killed back in 2009. Oh, man. Yeah. So, which sucked. Yeah, it's it's he was a good friend of mine. So, but yeah, and that's pretty much it. And then I became a SEAL. And by the way, when I was going through this training, a lot of my friends had become instructors at, the, at that point mm. from my first classes or my second class. And it was interesting because they didn't know how to treat me. Should I treat Ray as, you know, a peer or should I treat him as a student? <laughs> <laughs> Gotta treat you as a student. I mean, well, they did. Okay. <laughs> they did, but at, there's many times where they pulled me out of it. Like right. my class was getting, you know, beat or they're what we call surf tortured, just laying in the water. I'm sure you've seen photos. Yeah. And they're they're freezing and and they're like, hey Ray, what the heck are you thinking, man? Coming back there? I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. I have no idea. And they're like, well, okay, eat this, drink that. I'm like, okay, yeah, sure. You know, so Thank you. thanks. And, you know, they're just poking fun, mm-hmm. poking fun of me. And that I was back there and I was kind of poking fun of myself to being back there. I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing back here. So. So you're a Navy SEAL for, you said 17 years? 15. 15 years. So after 15 years, knowing what you know, doing what you've done, would you go back and do it all again? The going through buds three times? Yes, I actually would. It shaped me into a better person than I am. I think I see the world so much more differently than when I saw it when I was 
in the regular Navy. How so? You know, the thing is, the fact of the matter is, you know, there's, there's true evil in this world. Yes. And to ignore that blindly to live more of a apathetic life is, is just not the way to go around mm-hmm. because there are people who want to hurt you and we have to put people forward to maintain that line so that I don't know, for lack of a better term, the hordes are at the gate and you don't want them to breach your gate, you know, to, to disrupt your comfortable lifestyle. Right. And I see the world as, you know, there's loving people all over the world, you know, like the people I fought, I fought, you know, I fought uh, Al Qaeda in Iraq. I fought ISIS in Iraq and I fought the Taliban in Afghanistan and Abu Sayyaf in the Philippines. So, you know, and you're fighting someone who, who have love for their family. Interesting. You know, so their fathers, sure. you know, their brothers and they're a contributor to their community. Mm-hmm. And here I am fighting them mm-hmm. for our cause. You know, so, and I totally understand that. I totally embrace that. Hey, you know, I, you got to do what you got to do, but I got to do what I got to do. And I'm fighting for my cause too. You know, so, and I, I understand the whole love, but at the same time, there's evil in the world yeah. and evil needs to be put down in my mind. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's not, oh, it's probably not a way that like a lot of people want to look at it. However, you can't, it's, it's hard to talk to them, you know, cause there's a lot of barriers and already in place, you know, language barrier, cultural barriers, just ideological beliefs are already in the way. So. Yeah. But do you see that going on in the country today? The things politically in our country, this country? Mm-hmm. Sure. I mean, you know, you can believe whatever you want. That's the great thing about this country. You can do what you want to the degree, of course. You know, you can say what you want, you can practice what you want, you can believe whatever you want to believe in. You know, so. That's the great thing about this country. And I think that the danger in that is if we get too far apart from each other where we just don't want to listen because you're just so stuck in your belief that everything just doesn't matter outside of that. You just don't want to listen. So that's where the danger, you know, I, earlier on, I said, yeah, one of my, my specialties as a SEAL was a sniper. That's a hard skill. Yeah. One of the soft skills I had was, like I said, I worked in an intelligence. So I would talk to a lot of, it, it, I would interview them. Like I have a, a Pakistan, uh, like a, a Pashtun fighter in front of me talking to him. And I would try, like, to, try to build some rapport, of course, through an interpreter mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and find some common ground. You know, I would actually carry photos my family with me like hey this is my wife and this is my kid you have a wife and kid you know this down the other try to get to know him you know try to make him see me as a human being yeah besides this guy who wears this who you know this you know all kitted up you know stripped all that away i'm just a human flesh and you know flesh and blood just like you let's talk what's going on you know Mm -hmm. and you know they start talking i'm like i totally understand if i was in your shoes i'd do the same thing you know it's just, it's just, you know, seeing them as human beings rather, because we tend to dehumanize each other a lot. Yeah. There's a lot of that going on right now here mm-hmm. in the United States. There's a parallel between what you just talked about and, you know, uh, civilians and police. Like they, we are not seeing each other as human beings all the time. When the fact of the matter is, you know, you take off the uniform, you, you're a human being or vice versa. If, you know, what separates a civilian from the police officer? Yeah, training and everything like that. But in many states, like all that's separating them is a piece of metal, a little badge. You know, I mean, they have all the same rights and everything else, you know. So. Sure, sure. And they, you know, at the end of the day, what I tell, I'll tell some people, I'm not that special. I'm not special at all. I'm just an average human being. You'd probably see me on the street, not even think twice. I'm very unassuming. You know, I'm, I'm shorter, I'm skinny, you know, thin or whatever, but very unassuming. And I'm not going to go out and pretend like I'm better than everyone else. 
So um, I think that's a problem too. Everyone is just, they don't know when to be humble. Some humility would be great right about now in this country. <laughs> yes, definitely humility um, from all peoples here would be, <laughs> would be definitely advantageous to all of humanity. But um, we'll see. Um, you were talking about off camera about your privilege and how you would like to share your side of that and what you think of privilege. And it's coming out in the news a lot these days, you know, white privilege or having privilege or born, you know, being born with a silver spoon in your mouth. Um, but here you are, you know, skinny Filipino kid from actually born in the Philippines, came to America. Um, and yet you say you do have privilege. Share. Sure. You know, the thing with privilege, it's not good or bad, mm. right? As soon as you try to isolate them and put them into two categories, hey, it's good or bad, you're already stepping off on the wrong, the wrong foot. It's, it's good if you use it for good, right? Everyone has privilege. We all do. The fact that we get to live in this country is privilege. Yeah. You go to other countries, there's not so many, much privilege there. Right. And if there is, it's a small group of people. Very small group. Everyone has privilege in this country. Now, it's bad if you take that privilege and you look down at people, like, look at me, you know, praise me, screw the little people, right? That sort of thing. Rather, you should take your privilege and give back to the community. That's where putting your privilege at check, in my mind. Like, you know, for me, you know, I attended some, actually, you know, I, I was very fortunate. I joined the military. I was given an opportunity three times, right? I became a SEAL, which is, is elite in the Navy. Yeah. And, you know, I attended, I went to undergrad in Washington, D.C. to a very exclusive university, uh, which is a national intelligence university. And then I went to grad school at the American University, also in D.C. So... I had those opportunities. Those opportunities were available to me. And it wasn't like the door was shut because I'm brown skin. Right. Right. It was open to me. It was given to me like, hey, you want it? Okay, yeah. Can you just submit this, do this, take the test here, blah, blah, blah. If you do it, then you're good. Right. Did it. And guess what? I, I, I no problem. I went to college, you know, I actually went to grad school. Who would have thought I would have walked out with a master's degree? This is all after you had been in the military. This is during my military career. Okay. So I had, you know, in the military, you have a break to, we call it C rotation or C rotation. You're just grinding, right? Your deploy status. Mm -hmm. And then we have a shore rotation where you have some time off. So during that time, I would chip away at college classes, you know, during my time. And then when I had some time, when I went to shore duty, I decided to go to college full, full bore. Of course, I owed them time because of that. I owed the military time because of that. And this is kind of interesting because you go back, you know, I go back all the way in 92 when I graduated from Lelo Ho, I actually graduated, barely graduated. You know, I was like 1.9 GPA, you know, C's, a lot of C's, maybe a mi good mix between C's and D's and a couple F's. So you're just scrambling out of a rural high school in Hawaii. Right. I just, and I barely entered the Navy, barely, you know, I barely passed the, the battery tests, right. Just by the skin of my teeth, because I didn't have a good grasp of math or my reading was okay, but everything else, comprehension and all the, the stuff that they're asking in the battery tests. So that's because I didn't put the effort in. I was more, in, I was a bad kid growing up. You know, I was, I, I've been to Pearl City Jail. I've been locked up there before. You know, I've been, I said I went to Lelahoe High School. That's where I finished off. Mm. And that's not where I started. Mm. I didn't start off in Waihewa. I didn't start off in Whitmore Village. You know, I, I once lived with my mom when I was much younger. And one of her, well, her boyfriend had broken my leg. I was about two years old. So... The state of Hawaii took me out of that situation, put me into a foster home, which I thought at that point, those people were my family. So when my mom came around, I'm like, I don't know who you are. 
So I probably could count the time I lived with my mom in one hand, roughly. And so I moved a lot. I lived in Eva Beach. I lived in Waianae um, or Nanakuli. I lived in Waipahu. I lived uh, in Kalihi Valley. So yeah, I then like dull intermediate, mm-hmm. right? So pretty rough school at the time, Camp 4, you know. So I, that's what I was rolling in at the time. And to survive, especially when I moved to Kalihi Valley, it was about fighting. Yeah. You have to fight. Otherwise, if you don't, you're just going to get stretched all over the pavement, you know, because there's, there's a lot of people. That's what they do. They, they, they're bored, you know, they want to fight. So I got involved in it, started smoking, doing some drugs. And then, of course, I was in a foster home. And then I ran away because I was like, I, I don't want to do this anymore. Went to, I've been to, what's it called? Uh, the Boys and Girls Home. Mm-hmm. And I've been to the detention home many times for for shoplifting, for breaking and entering, for assaults, for a lot of things. A lot of things. Fortunately enough, I just got the book thrown at me. Well, not really. I didn't get the book thrown on me. I got my hand slapped. I take that back. Fortunately, I did a lot of community service, but did a lot of times sitting in jail, you know, and at some point, I don't know what happened, but it clicked like I can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. So I was, you know, so I, I had a pretty rough neighborhood. I mean, I grew up, I, I got physically beat by my, my mom, my mom's husband. She had remarried. Me and my brother would get beat. He'd come home drunk, just pick us up and throw us across the room. Jesus. Yeah, right. So, and, you know, at some point, I, for a very, even though it was a short while, we were homeless for a little while, living in a van off of Ala Moana, me and my mom and my brother. Of course, the state can't let that happen. So they took us out. You know, it was just a, a mess. It was a mess. So instead of just dwelling on that, you know, I mean, I, I use and by the way, growing up, I was because the path I was taking, I had foster parents tell me, yeah, you just, you're going to end up in prison. Yeah. You're not going to be, you're no good. You know, I would hear these things, you know, imagine you're formal, you're, you're, you're kid learning. You're still formidable. You know what I'm saying? And you're learning. He's like, all right, that's fine. I guess that's the path I'm going to go on then. Yeah. You know, so my mom wasn't, it's not to belittle my mom, but my mom was, doing her own thing, you know, mm-hmm. so she did drugs. She'd been in jail, prison for a few years for, for drugs. You know, I remember going to her house and she's just chopping up cocaine, you know, that kind of stuff. So, so how, how do you even, how do you even come to the conclusion that you're privileged? I'm privileged not growing up. I'm not privileged. Okay. Now I am, you know, I have access to a lot of things, you know, like there's certain, if I wanted a certain job, I could most certainly get it based on my, my, my background here in Hawaii. And I'm reached out to quite often for jobs, right? People here. are coming after you for right. jobs. They ask me like, Hey, we have a job opening. Do you want it? Interesting. And I look at it I'm like, yeah, it's a 40 hour a week job. I don't have the time for the commitment right now. Mm-hmm. I want to commit my, I want to give my time to my daughter. I have a, she's going to be six years old in a few days. Nice. So, and that's one of the reasons why I retired early. Mm-hmm. I retired early because I did two rotations and I just understood the importance of me having her, having her father around. Because had I died out there, she, I would just have been, um, I probably wouldn't even be a memory for her at that time. She was yeah. eight months. So young. She was eight months when I first deployed for her. And then 16 months when I did my second rotation and I was like, all right, this is it. So my privilege, I mean, like I said, I have access, I mean, to certain jobs, high paying jobs. I quit one here in November. It's just for the sake. I'm like, I don't want to do it anymore. So I, in a sense, I felt maybe I was a little bit ungrateful. I'm like, Hey, you know, I got a good full-time job here in Hawaii pays very well. You know, I can live, I've never lived in Kailua. That's where my wife wants to live. We were looking either there or even out here, right? And in this side of the island, but my wife liked that side so much. Yeah. So I would have never had that opportunity. I probably would have, if I had, it would be me. I'd probably be living in 
Waipahu, you know, not that Waipahu is bad. I'm just saying that's where I probably, it's cheaper to yeah. live, cost of living in terms. So your choices would have been much less, you narrow down your choices as to where you could live. So Whereas now you think, yeah, I could live in Kailua, I could live in Hawaii, I could live wherever I want. Sure. So I'm very fortunate. And, you know, I, like I said, and I, because I went to some pretty prestigious schools, I still have that network and it's, I still stay in contact with them, you know, so if I ever, not that I ever will, if I ever decide to move to DC, because that's where I went to grad school, I have a network there in DC, you know, so, um, yeah, so I, I have a lot of privileges now. I didn't have privileges then, but I have them now and they weren't given to me. I had to work for them. Yes. You know, so, and I had to prove myself. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I don't know how it is in the police force, but in the military in general, it's all about merit, right? It's, they don't care what you look like. You know, like it's more of, can you do the job? Right. Right. And that was my mentality. And it is still today. Like, you know, I'm actually, you know, I'm, my wife owns a, a consulting company. So I'm the CEO of that company. And when we, we bring people on board, when I give them my rules of the road, I'm like, Hey, here's your left and right limits. It's very low, right? Three things. Don't get me fired. Don't do anything illegal. Right. And just everything, do things ethically yeah. and you'll be fine. I don't care how you get it done. Just get it done. Right. Use your imagination. Just be innovative. Interesting. 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 Right. And you'd be amazed at what people will do to get their job done. So long they're within, so long you give them the board, the, your left and right flanks of ethics. Stay within these bounds, right. but within these bounds, which are pretty wide. They're pretty wide. Have at it. Yeah. And that's how I raised my daughter. I'm like, Hey, here's your left and right. Mm -hmm. I don't care. You want to climb, climb, but I have to be there so that I can at least support you. Sure. Right. And then when you get really good at it, then you can do it yourself. Uh, it's sort of the, the way I, I kind of, it's not the way I grew up. I grew up like very tight, you know, like, Hey, you can't do this. You can't do that. This, that, and the other very, very strict. So I, I'm kind of the antithesis of that. I look at it like, nah, I just rather have, I rather go do things, but now more legal, legally, mm -hmm. like I used to just, just, I used, there was no guidance for me when I was growing up. I just did it without understanding the consequences. You know, now I, I, I think about the consequences. But when you hear like on social media and the news and stuff about, you know, people screaming white privilege, I mean, there's a lot of white people that don't take advantage of, if there is a so-called advantage of being white, you know, if, the, if it's such a privilege and it's such a right. And on the flip side, you have people like yourself, you have a lot of people of color that have made very well to do of themselves throughout, you know, the past few decades. Sure. I was listening to one of your podcasts. I can't remember his name. He was, I think he was Cambodian. Oh yeah. Bo. Tattoo. The tattoo guy. Six yes. fingers, right? Yeah. I'm paraphrasing here. I can't remember verbatim what he said, but he said that he was told early on about investing yes. and he wanted to be rich like the white man. Yes. So that's an interesting thing because this is actually what I'm, I'm actually a doctoral student too. That's why I don't work now. So I look at these social issues and it sparked my interest when he, what he was saying, when he said, you know, I want, he told me to invest and he went to, you know, money manager or whatever, right? Yeah. Someone who does, yeah. who a financial specialist or whatever. It's an investment firm that give him like 40 bucks a month or something. Right. Yeah. And he said, yeah, I, yeah, 40 or whatever I can, I can give this. And the guy was like, well, I would have took 20. Right. And now he's well to do. He's probably a little bit better off than he was before. Because in my mind, access is money. Yeah. If you have the money, you'll have access, but you don't have to have a whole lot of money. It's like this guy. The real access in my mind is information. You know, it's how you operationalize the information. I can give you all the information and it means nothing if you don't use it. So, you know, I have this discussion with a lot of people, my wife primarily, I say, you know, I remember growing up and people say, oh, knowledge is power. That's such BS. Knowledge is not power. It's practical knowledge is power. Because what's the point of me knowing that if a plane flies up and it stalls where the pilot no longer has control, what's, 
great. What, how does that serve me? Right. right. There's a does, whole slew of knowledge out there that's sure. kind of useless. Yeah. There's a lot of useless knowledge for me, at least in my life, right? I want knowledge that I can put into application mm -hmm. that will have a positive effect in my life and my kid's life and my wife's life or my family's life, right? Instead of people are pursuing knowledge that means nothing. You know, it's information is toxic. It's everywhere. Yeah. You know, so... You have to be able to find the signal in this noise of information, which a lot of people are having a hard time with. Mm -hmm. So this is where you're talking about privilege. I think privilege, it doesn't matter who you are. If you can find that signal, that right signal, you're, you'll, and you don't take your eye off the ball, if you will, right? You'll get to where you're going, right? I'm sure you're going to come off track from time to time, but maintain track of where you want to go and you'll get there. Yeah, and I'm almost to the point where I'm like, no, everybody that has a smartphone connected to the internet, you are privileged. If you, I mean, none of us had that when we were kids. None of us had access to the deluge of information that you can pull off of Google. And Absolutely. Yet, here are you know, five year olds, six year olds, able to pull any kind of information off off of the internet. Absolutely. Like watch YouTube and learn how to fix things, learn a new language. Like we didn't have that. Now you do. Everybody does. It's like, guys, the information's there. It's what you do with it. It's the practical knowledge of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, like when I do talk to kids, that's what I try to share with them is like, you know, there's a lot going on, Yeah. you know, and you know, there's in, this is something kind of a, a seal talk, but you probably understand what I'm talking about. Like you know, we have five, 10, 50 meter targets, mm -hmm. you know, Take the target you know you can take that's in your immediate line of sight, you know, and, and focus on that. You know, don't focus. We're talking about a marathon, right? Mm -hmm. This is, this is a life is a marathon. You know, folk, you need to set goals. You need to set these five, 10, 15 meter goals. That way you can get, you can reach, uh, achieve your ultimate outcome, whatever it is. Yeah. It's like marathon right. runners. They're not running for the whole marathon. They're running for the next mile, the, the next, next mile. mile, the next mile. Yeah, absolutely. And you got to prepare yourself for it. Yeah. Speaking of marathons, you know, like I came back at my 2008 deployment. I haven't run a marathon, never ran a marathon. A friend of mine, mutual friend of mine, wife and I, she is like, Hey, you want to run a marathon with me? I'm like, absolutely not. <laughs> I'm like, that's 26.2 miles. I'm not ready for. So she goes, Hey, just come with. So my wife and I, we went over with her to the convention center in San Diego and we went running. And I was like, sign me up. Where did I sign? <laughs> so I signed on. And I'm like, anyway, I ran. Biggest mistake in my life. <laughs> All right. Ray, it's been great having you on, man. We're going to have to have you on again. There's, there's so sure. much more to talk about. Sure. Yeah. Uh -huh. Appreciate it. It was, it was a good time. Yeah. All right, everybody. Ray, the Hawaii SEAL. And everybody, <laughs> stay happy, Hawaii.